What is it this morning you're believing about yourself that's still impacting the very way that you live today? What title has been given to you that you still find yourself owning? I'll tell you, even for Christians, sometimes it's possible to go back to our old titles. You will find in a moment of weakness, you will find in what, you know, a moment where you haven't been drawn near to God like you should and you feel distant and cold, that you start to think those things. Maybe I'm not really changed. I am what I've always been. I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to be a jerk. I'm always going to be selfish. I'm always going to be whatever it might be. Whatever your thing is. And you will find the devil will try to ultimately control you and cause you to live in the tomb based upon a lie that you think you're something you're not. Somewhere we've got to wake up and realize I am not Legion. That is not my name. That is not who I am. Most Christians are familiar with the man called Legion, yet most probably do not know that this was not his name. It was the name the demons gave themselves because there were so many of them living inside of the man. Too many people are much like this, defined by their affliction, named by their problem. Listen in today's message, My Name is Not Legion, to see how and why knowing your God-given identity will change your life. Most Christians are familiar with the man called Legion, yet most probably do not know that that is not his name. It was the name that the demons gave themselves because there were so many of them. That word legion, it is a word that refers to a group of Roman soldiers, about 6,000 of them. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that there were 6,000 demons in this man, maybe there were, but it does mean that the multitude was so many that a term that referred to thousands was the term that these demons called themselves possessing this man. Many people are much like this man, named for their affliction, named for their infirmity. But Legion was not his name. With God's help this morning, I want to preach on this simple thought, my name is not Legion. As we study the life, or uh, not really life, but this event of really the greatest record of demonic deliverance, I want us to look at three lessons from the liberation of this man called Legion. The first thing I want you to note this morning is that most people are terrified of the spiritual realm. Most people are terrified of the spiritual realm. You look at how they handled this man. They were unable to handle him. They were unable to help him. And so their solution was to chain him up, to bind him up, and to throw him in the graveyard. This is where, if you look at your Bible, it says he actually lived there. That was his dwelling place. You know, this was a human being. At one point in time, this man was a little boy who ran the streets with all the other little boys, and kicked the ball around, skipped rocks, 
We don't know what happened to him. We don't know how he became demon-possessed. But we must understand, a lot of times when we talk about people and situations, we talk about them as if they're, you know, a number, not a real human being. This man was a real human being who is tormented by demons, and we see the response of the world is simply to chain him up and get rid of him. You will find that generally speaking, most people are terrified of the spiritual realm. It's true of the demonic. The reality is, I've seen it even in the church. Most Christians are actually terrified of demonic powers and demon spirits. The idea of ever having to deal with somebody that's demon-possessed, the idea of ever having to be somewhere where demons are present or demonic powers are present, most Christians are actually terrified of it. But we notice it wasn't just the demonic that they were terrified of. They were scared of Jesus. The Bible says that they came back, you know, some people went to town, told everybody what was going on. Everybody comes out to see what's going on. And they see this man. They know who he is. They recognize him. They've chained him up, and they've put him in the tombs. There he is, clothed, and in his right mind. And it says they were scared. Isn't that an interesting response? They were scared. And you know what they said to Jesus? Basically, they said, get out of here. Now, we have to see something this morning, and may God help us to see it. Generally, people are scared of the spiritual realm. It's true on the demonic side, but it's true on God's side as well. Even in the church. In fact, most people, our response is very similar, and we desire something very similar to the people of the text, we just want that which is spiritual to go away. We don't want to be around it. We don't want to experience it. This is even true in the church. I would argue that the lame, weak, watered-down, diluted, tame thing that we call the church doesn't look anything like the church you read about in your Bible. we got all the excuses in the world for it. You can get about any old Dr. So-and-so with a Ph.D. to help explain to you why there's no power in his church and no power in his ministry nowadays. I'll submit to you the real reason is we're terrified of it. And we don't want it. In large part because you can't control it. That's another way of saying what people are afraid of. We're afraid of what we can't control. And being in a presence... Being in a spiritual realm where God is moving and power is present that's outside of you, it can actually be a terrifying experience for people. The reality is, I've seen it hundreds of times in our 20 years of ministry. People that think they want to be in church or think they want to have a relationship with God, maybe some of them do, maybe some of them don't, but, but people that, I mean, they wanted to come to church, that's why they showed up, end up wanting to leave once the Holy Spirit starts moving, because they're scared of it. They're fine with a cold, dead, lifeless service. Just want to show up, want to sing some songs, want to hear the preacher read a little bit, want to just have a religious service. It's noon, it's time to go, let's get out of here. And they go, 
And for many people, that's all they've ever known. There are people that have spent years of their life, some of them decades of their life, in a dead, lifeless ministry. And you will find when they come in contact with the true, living Spirit of God, that it actually is terrifying a little bit. And our, often our response as people is to get away from it. It's like we want to somehow go back into our delusion that that stuff isn't real and God doesn't work that way and devils aren't real and somehow everything we read about here, it was just for that weird little time frame of 100 years, but things don't work that way anymore. That's a devilish doctrine. Anybody tells you that, you need to run from them. It's garbage. The Word of God stands forever. We're afraid of the Spirit moving. You know, I remember the first time that I, my heart was awakened. It's like God revealed Himself to me. I can tell you where I was at. I can tell you where I was sitting. And I can tell you one of the very first things I experienced was terror. Just the, the reality that God was real. This isn't... You know, I spent 20 years of my life thinking it was just religion. It's what people do to convince themselves to be good. It's what the good town folks do. It's a good social club, you know. It's like where the, it's where the, it's where the more honorable people of society meet once a week to come together. That's what I thought church was. I didn't believe God was there. I didn't even believe in God. But when I actually met God, when I was in the presence of the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden my soul was awakened, my spirit came to life, and I recognized God was real and God was there, I'm telling you, it terrified me. One of the first thoughts I had was, was oh no, God is real, and I'm a sinner, a horrible sinner. And I literally began to tremble at the reality that I was in the presence of God and I was an evil, awful person. I thank God I didn't run. I thank God I was somehow able to stay in that moment and allow God to deal with my heart and ultimately transform me. We must, as a people of God, come to expect the supernatural moving of God. And I'm telling you, even in the church, I say it unashamedly and as boldly as I can say, even in the church, we are guilty of what these people do here. We want to talk about Jesus moving. We want to talk about the power of God. We want to talk about what he's capable of doing. We'll talk about it all day long. We'll talk about the revivals of old. We'll talk about, you know, we want God to do this and that. But the moment the Holy Spirit starts moving and it's outside of our control and it doesn't look like we want in our tiny little box and how we work in this church and how we work in our denomination or that denomination or, or in this location or that location, it doesn't fit like we want it to and we shut it down. Because we are scared of a God that works outside of our control. One of the things I see here in our text, people are terrified of the spiritual realm. doesn't matter what side it's on. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, concerning the church being scared of the demonic realm, it's absolute foolishness. It's just, it's nonsense. When you understand who you really are in Christ Jesus, 
When you understand the power that is inside of the child of God, and I'm telling you, this is one of the things that the devil has done to dupe the church, is cause us to forget who we are and and to have just no consciousness of the power that's within us. Jesus has 6,000 demons begging him, pleading with him, don't send us into the abyss. That's what Luke records, uh, one of the things that they were uh, requesting. You know what the Bible says? It's almost a rebuke, actually. When Paul says this, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's like a rebuke when Paul says that. It's not this beautiful form of poetry where it's like a beautiful thought. God lives in you. Now, Paul is saying, do you, do you not know that? God! who created all that there is, the one who has the power to give life, the one who raised Christ from the dead in Ephesians chapter 1, it's what it says, that same power, it's in you. I'm telling you, you get a hold of that, you're not going to be afraid of demons. You're not going to be afraid of the demonic realm. But what's happened is, in my humble opinion, we have one of the most unspiritual uh, group of believers on the planet claiming to be spiritual, claiming to walk in the spirit. We have one of the most unspiritual group of believers ever to walk the planet. And we are satisfied with services. Satisfied with good, solid talent. We want good uh, songs, we want good singers, we want crisp entertainment, we want good solid three, four point preaching, we, we, we have a, a service that we have in mind, and as long as we can duplicate that over and over and over and over and over again, what do we do? We leave every week and say over and over and over and over again, good service, good service, nobody was healed, nobody was saved, nobody's life was transformed, but by golly, somehow we're dumb enough to think that's a good service. You imagine if that's what Jesus did in Jesus' day? Nobody's, no, n- nothing happening, nobody transformed, nobody saved, nobody healed, no, nothing, nothing miraculous, no, nothing really different, but boy, they had some crisp, tight songs, folks. Now, here's the awful thing about it is like, so that's us. Somehow we've become okay with it. Not only have we become okay with it, we've been taught to expect it. We've been duped into believing it's right. May God help us to hunger for the true move of the Spirit in our own life, in our church services. May God help us to get beyond the fear of what it might look like if something happens outside of your control or my control and our control. May God help us to quit making this lame almost demonic excuse of order in the church when really what we mean is control. There should be a degree of order in the church, an order in which the Holy Spirit has complete control. And when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there was order, brothers and sisters. There was order. Paul had to write and explain when things get out of order, here's how you need to do it. But I'm telling you, their services look nothing like ours do today. And in large part, No, 
It's not because God doesn't work the same way that he always did. No, it's not because God has changed. The Bible tells us the exact opposite. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The main reason is we're terrified. People are truly terrified of the spiritual realm. The second thing I notice from our text is that Jesus is Lord of all. We see that he's Lord, first of all, of people. That there is absolutely nobody that Jesus can't change. There are a lot of uh, scenarios in the scripture where Jesus did some incredible things and healed people and did the miraculous. And I mean, how do you really gauge what miracle is more significant? But here's a guy who's living in the tombs, possessed by thousands of demons. He's actually supernaturally strong enough that even when they chain him up, he breaks the chains eventually. Nobody can control this guy. And you know what happens? Jesus just shows up, says a few words to him, and changes his life forever. Jesus is Lord of all, including people, and you need to know this morning, you are never too far gone for God to change your life. Jesus is Lord, and he has the power to do as he pleases. He's Lord of people. He's Lord of nature. We see him walk on water. We see him speak at times to to the storm and, and cause it to cease. We see he's Lord over all creation. Here we even see him having authority over the animals. We see that he is Lord over the demonic realm. I wish we could truly see how much more powerful our God is than demons. You know, Satan's a liar and he wants to elevate himself to where everybody thinks he's so big and tough. But don't forget that the moment that he turned on God, God was just like, cast him out of heaven. No, there wasn't no arm wrestling match. One of the dumbest pictures I've ever seen, Jesus and the devil arm wrestling. It doesn't work that way. That's made by idiots who don't understand the scriptures. Jesus speaks a word, and Satan and a third of the angels are cast out of heaven. When Jesus shows up, they fall down and beg him, please don't send us to the abyss. That's not an arm wrestling match, folks. And here's the thing about the demonic realm. The demons understand who Jesus is. You might not be real sure this morning. There might be somebody who's walked in this place. You're not real sure what you believe about Jesus, who he is. But make no mistake about it. The demons know who Jesus is. He is Lord of all. Brothers and sisters, this is incredibly important because one of the primary ways that Satan seeks to attack and undermine the church is by what I will call diminishing the deity of Jesus Christ. That word deity, it just, it's a word that means um, assessing to Jesus that he is God. That he is divine. Satan wants you to question that. Make you wonder who he is at all. You know, and there are people that will tell you that uh, Jesus wasn't even real, that it's just a fake-believe, fictional person in history. You have to be really dumb to believe that. I mean, just ignorant. 
Stupid is the right word for it. I'm not trying to be mean. Look up those words in the dictionary, and I'm and sincerely, what those words mean apply to you if you don't think Jesus was a real person. But there are people who will say that. You can Google anything you want these days and make it tell you what you want. But it's just nonsense. We have the life of Jesus recorded in so many different historical documents. Not only the Bible, but the you know, the, the history of Rome, it's there. I mean, to say that he didn't exist is just stupid. But there are people who will do that. And if Satan knows if you're dumb enough to buy that garbage, he's going to throw it at you. But you will find that if you're not that stupid, Satan is willing to come at it from a more subtle attack and begin to cause us to undermine the deity or the authority of Jesus Christ. You know, there are a lot of ways that I've watched it happen over the last 20 years that I've been a Christian, even in the church, where we as people begin to diminish the view of who Jesus really is. And I'm telling you, he is Lord of all. One of the ways that I've watched the deity of Jesus be diminished in the church is instead of being Lord of all, he has become friend of all. That's all, he's just a friend. In fact, if you take kind of this message that's developed over the last 20 years in, I would say, 95% of the church, you'll find a really weak, needy Jesus who just really, really needs another friend. In fact, he just wants you to be his friend so bad this morning. Will you let Jesus be your friend? I mean, he's, he's such a nice guy. I, he loves you. Why can't he be your friend? And so you have a decision to make this morning, young lady. Are you going to let Jesus be your friend or not? Now, that's kind of offensive. And I was intentional to be offensive about it. But here's the truth. That's the Jesus that's being fed to the masses over the last 20 years. And you need to understand this morning, he is not some weak, needy, lonely person just hoping that you'll let him be your friend. The Bible tells us Jesus declared of himself, I am he who was dead and is alive and is alive forevermore. He holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah who has triumphed over the devil. He is Lord of all. He is God Almighty. He is not some weak, lonely person just hoping to be your friend. And he commands all men everywhere to repent of their sins. That's who he is. He is Lord of all. And it would do us good again in the house of God to get a proper perspective of who our king is. The devil wants to diminish that deity. And the weaker that we have seen our Jesus become matches the weakness of the tone of the church as well. It's become a powerless, empty place. Now I'm telling you, a large part of it is because we have lost sight that our King is Lord of all. Number three, from our text I see this morning that knowing 
your God-given identity, it will change your life. Knowing your God-given identity will change your life. I told you that the sermon title this morning is, My Name is Not Legion. This man's name was not Legion. But that's what he was known by. It's interesting that the same thing happens today. We tend to be known by and we tend to know people by what's wrong with them. Oh, that's that old drunk. You know, that's, that's old so-and-so. I hesitate to name names because I'm dealing with a young crowd today. So we have teenagers in here, some children. But you need to understand something about the way the devil works. He works to define you by what's happened to you and by the wrongs that you've done. And eventually attaches a name to you. And I'm telling you, people are wicked, but the devil is wickeder. Even the general respect that most humans have for children, the devil does not. And from the time kids are this little, you better believe their enemy is doing everything to begin to cause them to believe lies about themselves. That you're worthless, you're unwanted, you're not worth loving. Sometimes awful things happen and we begin to attach names to ourselves because of what happened to us even when we were kids. You know, I look at my own life and I can tell you I was a kid. I was about 17 years old when I made the decision to take on a title. My life was wicked and I'm ashamed of this period of my life. I was way into drugs, way into crime, just stuff I shouldn't have been. But there was one night when I was 17 years old, the first time in my life, that I used a needle to get high. And most of that night, I didn't think nothing about it. But the next morning when I woke up, I woke up with the most immense sense of guilt and shame. And I can't tell you why. Honestly, I should have come to this conclusion maybe before then. I'm just telling you it's how it happened in Joplin Emerson's life. That morning when I woke up, that was the first time in my life that I said to myself, you're a loser. That's who you are. You are a druggie. That's who you are. That's who you're going to be. And this is who you are destined to be. I'm going to tell you something. In one way or another, that message had been part of my life from the time I was little. I just wasn't really accepting it quite yet. And it's, man, I did a bunch of stuff before that night. Years of stuff before that night. Messing the stuff I shouldn't have messed with. But I'm telling you, there came a moment in my life when I accepted the title. And I'm telling you for me, I was 17 years old at the time. It changed the course of my life until I got saved, which really changed the course of my life. 
The enemy wants to destroy your identity. What is it this morning you're believing about yourself that's still impacting the very way that you live today? What title has been given to you that you still find yourself owning? I'll tell you, even for Christians, sometimes it's possible to go back to our old titles. You will find in a moment of weakness, you will find in you know, a moment where you haven't been drawn near to God like you should and you feel distant and cold, that you start to think those things. Maybe I'm not really changed. I am what I've always been. I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to be a jerk. I'm always going to be selfish. I'm always going to be whatever it might be. Whatever your thing is. And you will find the devil will try to ultimately control you and cause you to live in the tomb based upon a lie that you think you're something you're not. And somewhere we've got to wake up and realize I am not legion. That is not my name. That is not who I am. I'm not a loser. There are so many words that come to my mind I'm just not going to give because it's just not appropriate. But I'll tell you, the devil don't stop. He knows those words, and many of you know them. There are some of you, under the sound of my voice, you have attached words to yourself that nobody's ever actually said yet. You've never heard it. But you hear it. You see yourself that way sometimes. You allow it to to captivate you. We have to understand how important it is to see our God-given identity. I'm telling you, when you really embrace it, it will absolutely change your life. And there is a battle for the identity. And this is something that we as a church, when I say we, I mean the church. The Well Worship Center better uh, apply to us. But I'm telling you, the church of God, the true blood-bought, born-again church of Jesus Christ, we have got to stand and fight for the truth that all of us have a God-given identity. Because the devil's goal is to get us to lose sight of our identity. And then chase a life that we're we're, we're defined by things that have happened to us. Things that often were out of our control. And this is something we've got to stand for. We're living in a culture and an era of time that seems unthinkable. But... We are, we're living in a time where we, we don't even know how to handle situations where a boy decides that he's a girl or a girl decides that he's a boy. And I want to tread as lightly as I can on this, but this is a serious issue when we are unwilling to be honest about God-given identity. And... If we're not, brothers and sisters, we're leading people into harm. Anytime you ever embrace an identity other than your God-given one, it will always lead you to harm. Now, this this, uh, current situation that we're dealing with in this era of time, yes, spiritually, it's wrong. Yes, Biblically, it's wrong. But let's just put that off to the side over here for just a little minute. And let's just talk about the science behind it. Let's just talk about 
the emotional trauma that happens. And you will find that when people embrace another identity, especially uh, this is true when we're talking uh, male and female identities, transgenderism, you'll find that suicide rates skyrocket. You want to know why? Because embracing an identity that isn't your God-given identity, it never leads to peace and happiness. In this wicked world that we've living in, has somehow decided we're going to come around people who are confused about who they are, and instead of helping them, we're going to encourage them to go down this crazy mindset that there's something they're not. And we wonder, why is there so much pain and depression and suicide associated with people who take on false identities? I'll tell you why. God didn't design us to be that way. Now, as a church, we must deal with this with love and compassion. I've seen too many people who call themselves Christians try to use shame to bring about change. That's the devil's ballgame, folks. That's not the way God does stuff. God, God doesn't shame us into change. And we diminish our ability to truly help as a church when people who call themselves members of the church try to shame people in any capacity whatsoever. It doesn't work. It's not God's way. We've got to learn to come alongside people. Like, when does it stop? Have you ever thought about that? Where, where, where does it stop if we allow identity to just be whatever you want it to be? Where does it stop? I hesitate to use this analogy because I don't want to shame anybody, and I'm not, so I hope you f- hear my heart. But, like, what happens if somebody wants to be an animal? Why can't they? Says who? Why can't they? What's the answer? The rational, scientific answer is they're not. I've got an eight-year-old son that at times, he loves his puppy. We have a great puppy, good dog. Kylo's his name. And my son every now and then, likes to pretend he's a puppy. And he wants snacks. He likes to be pet. And sometimes he isn't going to quit being a puppy until he gets a snack or two. We're parents. We play around. We, We play along every now and then. But you know, there does come a time when I have to say, okay, that's enough. No more acting like a puppy. Get up getting a little weird. (laughs) Hey, and if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. It's true that even in the human psyche that the idea of, you know, role-playing and wanting to be your puppy happens. But at the end of the day, my son is a boy. He's not a dog. And he doesn't get to choose that he wants to be a dog. God chose and God's divine uh, creation of all things, that that son of mine would be a male human being, and we don't get to change that. And if I'm going to help him grow into the man of God that God's designed him to be, what we've got to do is embrace who he truly is. 
and to come alongside and buy some delusion and try to think that somehow me pretending that somebody is something they're not, that that's loving, I would argue it's the opposite of love. I would, I, I would argue it's almost borderline hate. It's destructive. There is a very real battle for your identity. Maybe you've never dealt with that. Maybe yours is something else. But you need to know this morning that you are not defined by what has happened to you. You are not defined by what the world says about you. You are not even defined by what you have done. You know, it took me some time uh, to process and wrap my mind around what we will call um, rehab. Uh, Because I had never actually been part of a rehab. Um, I had been court-ordered to do some stuff before, but it was a joke, and I didn't want the help. And so, like, I had truly never been part of a real rehab situation where I wanted change. And I found myself, after I got saved, kind of conflicted with the general messaging of rehabilitation, which was that supposedly I was still an addict. But I knew what it was to be addicted. I wasn't. I was not a recovering. I've never been a recovering addict, ever. Never have I been a recovering addict, never. I'm not recovering from anything. I'm recovered, brothers and sisters. I am made whole. The Bible says that old things pass away and all things become new and that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Totally new. New desires, new wants, new goals, the things I once used to hate. Now I loved them. Righteousness, church attendance, reading the scriptures, singing with the saints. Like, I hungered for those things. The things I once used to love. I hated them all of a sudden. Didn't want to go to those old stinking parties. Didn't want to be around the same lifestyle. Didn't want to be out on Friday nights. I didn't want it. Like, it wasn't like I was just trying to trick myself into not going there. I'm telling you, I was totally, completely, radically transformed and changed. Now, that doesn't happen without Jesus Christ. And I want to acknowledge that without Jesus, there really is, if you want out of, you know, addiction, there really is probably not another method than some of the methods they offer. I'm not knocking them all. I'm just telling you God's way is better. It's more complete, and it's able to do in a moment what the rest of us can't do in a lifetime. I'm telling you, God's capable of doing it. He really is Lord of all, and he really does have that power. You know, one of the things I see about Jesus in this text is that he came to where this man was. It's awesome. I believe that Jesus does that at least once for every person on the planet. That's what I believe. It's my personal opinion. I do feel like I can bear it out scripturally. I'm not going to get into it this morning. But you will find that when people talk about their life change, it often looked like they were looking for Jesus. But the reality is that wherever they were, Jesus showed up. I didn't know it at the time. I know it now. But Jesus showed up in my bedroom one morning and began to stir my heart to figure out whether or not the scriptures were true. No, there wasn't a man there. 
No, there wasn't some person, you know, robe in a robe from 2,000 years ago that I woke up and I had a conversation with. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you something. The Spirit of God Himself began to stir this heart of mine in a way that only God could do. He came to me. I was thinking about this. I was thinking Brother Kevin Wilkes uh, came into church many years ago to watch his wife get baptized. And he came in and he was angry and he was mad and he just wanted to leave. Never had any intention of ever having a meeting with God. But you know what happened? God set you right down there. Put your keister in the pew. And showed up in your life. That's what happened. He has a way of showing up in our lives and transforming us. You need to know who you're not. My name is not Legion. When I think about who I was, my wife and I have had this conversation hundreds of times over the years. When I think about who I was and the things that I did, truth, truthfully, it just seems weird. Like, I feel like I'm talking about a person that's not really me. I don't relate to that person. The only thing that I have in common with that person is that, I, that we have the same name. But it's, it's real, it really is. It's surreal to me. When I tell my full testimony at times, it's just kind of weird. To me, it's weird. Because I'm like, I don't know who that person is. He died. Dead and gone. Completely, radically changed. When God showed up in my life, and I was willing to hear, receive, and accept my God-given identity. Jesus was always doing that. Legion wanted to go with him. He said, I've got a mission for you instead. I want you to go home because everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know exactly that you were touched by the hand of God. I want you to go home. I want, you to, I want all your friends to see. I want you go testify of what I've done. I think about Jesus with the woman at the well. In that moment, changed her identity. No longer was she the woman at the well, but she was the woman who would bring the greatest revival to Samaria that Samaria would ever know. When Jesus shows up, when Jesus walks into your life, when you accept your God-given identity, it will absolutely transform your life. You know, it's not enough to simply know who you're not. You need to know you're not an alcoholic anymore. You're not a druggie anymore. You're not a loser anymore. You're not a promiscuous whatever, fill in the blank anymore. You're not that anymore. That's not who you are. That is not your name. My name is not Legion. You need to know that. Brothers and sisters, we've got to know beyond who we're not. We need to know who we are. I need to be able to fill that in with I am a son of God. That's who I am. I am a child of the living God. I am blood-bought born again, redeemed, child of the King of Kings. I'm in the hands of God Almighty. I'm following His will for my life. I'm heaven bound. I am God's son or daughter. That is who I am. That's my identity. That's how I will walk. That's how I will think. That's how I will live. My name is not Legion. I am a child of God. I've got to embrace my God-given identity. 